Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to David's and Gareth's. Um, Tim, my husband, we're both on the leadership team here, is um, taking our youngest son up to university this morning. So it's a big day in the um, Guru household, and as you've heard, Andrew is in Kenya. Uh, and so it's great that so many of us are here this morning, despite the fact that there are runners all around the streets in Cheltenham. Has anybody arrived since they competed in the Cheltenham Half Marathon this morning yet? We normally have some incredible runners from this church family that rock up uh, at some point during the service. No? Emily. Emily. Emily's here. and She's in the question. She did it. Wow. Fair play to that woman that had a baby three or four months ago. <laughs> Actually, our, our boys were out on the pavement this morning cheering the runners on because we were sort of about 10 minutes, where we live on Presby Road, was about 10 minutes into, into the half marathon. And so they got a lot of loud cheering on from uh, our young men this morning. And uh, we saw some members of the family doing a great job, the church family, uh, up in that early bunch. So um, this is our last... Um, morning on us in our series All In. Um, for those of you that have been coming regularly, we've been doing this series on All In and particularly focusing on prayer. And uh, Tim was speaking last week about um, just the inspiration to pray about everything. For those of you that were here last week, you know, he got us remembering that, learning that verse, pray about everything. And we're finishing off our series this morning uh, on prayer and in particularly looking at the whole dimension of persevering in prayer. Now, as we've acknowledged, there's the Cheltenham Half Marathon. Uh, well, it's probably coming to an end this morning. But my husband did uh, the, the London Marathon about four years ago. Crazy man. For any of you that know me, you know that I hate running. I've said that here before. I don't even like running to the car. I'll avoid walking if I can. I get teased in my family about the fact that if I'm going supermarket shopping, I want dropping right at the door so that I don't have to walk even across the car park to get into the supermarket. I don't particularly like walking, and I particularly don't like running. But Tim ran the London Marathon, uh, a grueling, horrific race by any stretch of the imagination, unless you're some kind of strange person who absolutely loves running. And uh, it was a real event. He had to train hard for it. He had to sort of, you know, do all the right things, get the right kit, uh, get his body into the kind of position where it could actually complete 26 miles. We went up to London on the day. It was an amazing event. If any of you ever want to sort of go to an experience in London, I really encourage you to go and watch the London Marathon. It is a phenomenal event watching thousands and thousands of thousands of people, you know, killing themselves really. <laughs> and many of them to raise money for charity. And they need a phenomenal amount of encouragement, a phenomenal amount of encouragement, particularly as it gets towards the latter sort of third quarter of the race. And I think the characteristic that enables the majority of those men and women uh, to cross the, the finishing line, the characteristic that gets them over the finishing line is perseverance. I think, it, I think a picture of a marathon is a picture of perseverance. I think it's one of the best sort of metaphors that we can think of for perseverance because you need so much to keep running for 26 miles. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day how brilliant your kit is, and it doesn't actually matter how fit your body is because it is going to be tested to its absolute limit. The one thing you do need, no matter how amazing your shoes are or how brilliant your team is and how fantastic they are at cheering you on, you need perseverance. And the same is true in our prayer life. And Jesus told a very simple story that we're going to look at this morning about a woman 
and about her ability to persevere in prayer. She had perseverance in shed loads. And we're not told much about her. We're told that she suffered some kind of injustice. But typically, Jesus doesn't give us any more details. We don't know whether she'd had her child taken away from her under unfair circumstances. We don't know whether her husband had abandoned her for another woman. We don't know whether somebody had stolen her wealth or stolen her property. Um, we don't know what the injustice was that she was facing. I think sometimes Jesus leaves out these kind of details because actually he's leaving us to fill in the blank in our own life experience. He knows that we face all kinds of scenarios and he's leaving us to fill in the blank. We don't know much about her, but we do know from this story that there's a scream in her heart that is crying out, it's not fair. There's a cry in her heart that it's not fair. And she does something with this scream, and many of us will identify with that kind of scream. And she wants something to change as a result. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn, to me, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. I don't know if it's going to come up on the screen. Sadly not. The PowerPoint that I diligently prepared for you was corrupted en route. So we can't look at anything on the screens this morning. If you've got a phone, you might want to turn it on. But otherwise, I'm going to read it out. And it's the story of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. It's not great criteria for a judge, is it, really? (laughs) And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is telling this story to teach his disciples one really simple principle about prayer. Keep praying, and don't give up. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Don't stop Keep praying until you see the change that you want to see. It's that simple. Last week's message was simple. Pray about everything. This week's message is simple. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop. Have you ever had that experience of praying about something and it just doesn't feel like God's listening? Do you know that experience when you kind of feel like you're calling God up, you're ringing him up, you're leaving a message on his answer machine because he's not picking up, and then you leave another message and another message and another message, and somehow he just seems to forget to get back to you. (laughs) Ever had that experience? Or that you're knocking on a door, and this door is firmly closed, and you're knocking and you're knocking, and your knuckles are getting sore and raw, and it doesn't feel like that door is ever going to be opened. I bet you have. I bet you have. I bet all of us have. I know I have. I'm in a season of that at the moment. 
And the reason I reckon that's an experience common to all of us who are seeking to follow God and to follow Jesus and to walk with him, the reason I think it's an experience that we've all had and we're all going to go on to have is because of the reason that Jesus tells this story. He's telling this story to his friends. He's telling this story to the people who love him and to the people who hang out with him. Why do you think he tells them this story? Why do you think he wants us to hear this story? Why do you think he wanted this story in the Bible? Because, uh, uh, this story of this woman who was after a breakthrough that just wasn't coming. Because he knew it would be relevant to each one of us and to our experience. He wants us to get the same message that he was teaching his disciples. If you want a breakthrough, if you want to see a breakthrough, if you want to see God's kingdom come in a sovereign and a virtually impossible way, you are going to have to pray for it. And you are going to have to pray for it and pray for it and keep praying for it. Tim, uh, for those of you that were here last week, if you didn't hear his talk, great talk, go on the podcast, uh, have a watch, have a listen. He told the story about the Berlin Wall falling down in uh, 90, or being pulled down in 1989, a massively significant world political event. And he told the story about Open Doors, the organization that we have connections with here, fantastic organization supporting Christians in the persecuted church. He talked about them uh, beginning a prayer initiative in 1982, deciding to pray for, for seven years uh, to see the, the wall fall down and to see the fall of communism uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, and it's a story that Brother Andrew tells in his book, Prayer Changes Things, and it's a fantastic book on prayer. So if you've not read Brother Andrew's book on Prayer Changes Things, I'd really encourage you to read it. However, Open Doors weren't the only people that decided to knock on God's door and keep knocking for as long as it took. In 1982, there was a chap called Christian Führer, interesting name for a German who's a Christian, uh, who was born in the war. Um, he decided, he ran a small church in eastern Germany, and he decided too that he wanted to see uh, the, the threat of the nuclear rise that was going on in uh, the eastern European bloc, and he wanted to see communism and the wall fall. And so he decided to start a Monday evening prayer meeting for one hour in his church every, uh, every week, once a week on a Monday. So they prayed for an hour, a small group of them, five or six of them began to gather and to pray against the nuclear threat and against communism and for the fall of the Berlin Wall. And every uh, week in this meeting, he would or somebody else would read out the Sermon on the Mount. They would read out the Beatitudes, they would pray, about, pray into them and pray for God to bring peace and pray for God to bring breakthrough. And uh, the prayer meetings marked a real stand uh, for contending for a breakthrough. They were called, apparently, uh, there will be some German speakers here, but these meetings were called Friedenstag Gebatter, I think, prayer meetings. They were praying for peace to come in Eastern Europe. In 1988, so six years later, the protesters, there were some protesters arrested in Berlin, and the Reverend Führer dialed up the prayer resistance as a church. So instead of backing down, he decided to, to dial up the prayer resistance. And he, held his pr he decided to hold the prayer meetings daily. And people began to come uh, to pray daily for the re release of the protesters. And uh, quickly that number grew to 2,000 people. So on average, there were 2,000 me me people meeting to pray. 
And obviously, the government became uh, on high alert because of what was going on, and they sent hundreds of their undercover Stasi agents into the prayer meetings to keep an eye on what was going on and to monitor what was happening. And the Reverend Fuhrer began to begin the meetings and joking about the undercover agents uh, in his meetings, and everybody would laugh because he told a joke about them being there, except the agents, so that they were able to identify who the agents were. <laughs> so cool. In September of 1989, so another year on from that, other churches around Germany began to kind of catch the wind of what God was doing, and they began to start their own similar prayer meetings. And then in October 1989, 60,000 people gathered in a huge square in Leipzig uh, around the church, and it was the largest demonstration that had ever been held in the Gem German Democratic Republic. And all the people came to pray. And all the people came with candles in their hands. On October the 18th, a few days later, the prayer meetings and the protests led to the resignation of Erich Honecker, the communist East German politician who was later tried and convicted of war crimes. And Honecker, he let it be known, was contemplating as a politician the Chinese solution to these protests and prayer meetings. A few months earlier, Tiananmen Square had happened where a number of the protesters had been hurt, shot and killed, and he was planning to put the same um, solution into effect. And what one of the other German uh, democratic regime people said later on before his death, on, in looking back on that time, he said, as politicians, we had planned everything. We were prepared for any eventuality, anything except prayer and candles. And 10 days after this guy's arrest, 20 days after this guy, Eric Honecker's arrest, the Berlin Wall came down on November the 9th, a long time sooner than anybody thought it was possible to happen. And interestingly, a 13-year-old German boy who had been involved in that prayer movement now heads up 24-7 Germany because he's seen the power of persistent prayer. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of knowing the end of the story from here. But can you imagine what it must have been like in 1987? You know, maybe you're somebody that's come to a prayer meeting every night, every Monday night, for, for five years, praying for God to move, praying for God to intervene, and you've seen nothing happen. Think back to what you were doing on se in September 2013. Can you think back that far? Can you remember what was going on in your life in September 2013? That was five years ago. So imagine that you've been going to prayer meetings for five years and you've seen nothing change. That's what it would have been like for them in 1987. I wonder if they felt like this woman in the parable felt, that they were knocking on the door of heaven, contending for God to come down and break in and do something to their circumstances, do something to bring change in their nation. I wonder if they felt like the woman whose, you know, the door remained closed, the judge wouldn't get up and help her. I wonder if that's what it felt like for them. I bet it was. I wonder how long they thought it was going to take. I wonder what the friends of this persistent widow, I wonder what their narrative was with her as they watched her going to this judge's house, trying to rouse him, trying to get him to intervene on her behalf. I wonder what they said. I wonder if they said things like, oh, don't bother. If he was going to help you, he would have helped you by now. I wonder if he said to you, you're a nobody. He's not listening to you. You're not important enough for him to be disturbed. Stop it. Stop wasting your time. Do something more significant with your life. I wonder if they might have said to her, you know, just do something that's within your power to do. Get some friends together. 
Get a strategy, get a plan. Stir up something else, get a campaign going. That way you'll really make a difference. You know, take your friends with him, get a crowd. Make life so uncomfortable with him with, you know, a strategy that something else will happen. Maybe they might have said to him, said to her, why would he listen to you? Why would he listen to you? Nobody else listens to you. She was a widow. She was one of the, you know, lowest in the society of the day. I wonder how many of her friends would have said, go again today. Get up and go and get to, go today because today might be the day that you get your breakthrough. I wonder how many friends she had that were like that. I wonder how many friends we have like that who will encourage us to keep contending and keep contending and keep contending for the breakthroughs that we're longing to see. By telling this story, Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples. Jesus is wanting to teach us a few things about praying with perseverance. There, is, there are some messages, there's a message that he wants us to know and there's a message that we need to know that is about persevering in prayer. But there's some particular things I think he wants to get by putting it into a story like this. And the first is this, that our answers, the answers that we're contending for, the answers that we're longing to see are often delayed. I know it's obvious in one sense when we look at our experience, but it's worth reminding ourselves again. It's what Jesus is illustrating in this story. Our answers, the answers that we're longing for to our prayers, for breakthrough, for the change in circumstances that we're longing to see, they're often delayed. And if you're anybody like me, if you're anything like me, who's, I'm somebody who's, I'm not a very patient person, I find that a real challenge. When we moved into our first house, uh, we bought our first house and of course we moved in and we wanted to redecorate and uh, we had a bit of a vision about what we were going to do for the lounge. We decided that before we actually moved in and got the keys. We walked in and about 10 minutes after the removal men had left and the house was finally ours, there I was in the lounge beginning to rip wallpaper off the walls. The boxes weren't unpacked, the furniture wasn't in its proper place, but I was good to go. Come on, let's see some change. I didn't want to wait for the ground to be prepared, for the you know, ground sheets to be put over the, the, you know, the bits of furniture that were in there. Tim was running around after me going, stop, stop. I'm an impatient person, I you know, have to confess to admit. And if you're somebody who finds waiting hard, you know, and I'm sure we all do in different respects, the fact that the answers that God wants us to contend for are going to be delayed is a real challenge for us, isn't it? It's a real challenge for us. And we live in a culture that encourages us that we can have everything when we want it, don't we? I mean, I get emails from people if I haven't replied to their email within 24 hours going, did you get my email? You know, we've, technology is sort of, has trained us to think immediately, instant. You know, years and years ago, the news would have taken a while to permeate around the world, even that the Berlin Wall would have fallen. That, you know, these days, something can happen at 10 past 10, you know, on the other side of the world, and at 11 minutes past 10, the whole world knows. We live in a culture that encourage us to, encourages us to believe that everything can be instant, and we can make stuff happen when we want to. And so it puts us in a, in a vulnerable position, doesn't it, before the Lord, when we can start asking for things and he doesn't reply immediately, when the answer doesn't come. But Jesus wants us to register here that answers don't always come immediately. But that leads me to the second element of what he's teaching. Just because they don't come immediately doesn't mean that they're not coming. An answer delayed is not an answer denied. 
A delayed answer to what you're praying for, what you're contending for, what you're pushing in for doesn't mean it's a denied answer. It means that you just haven't seen it yet. We're not told how many times this woman came back to knock on this guy's door. Maybe it was 77 times. Jesus liked the number 77. I don't know. But imagine what it must have felt like after the 72nd time. She didn't know that she was five knocks away from the breakthrough coming, from the judge rising up and changing her circumstances. Imagine if she'd given up after the 72nd time. Imagine if the Israelites had given up walking around Jericho after the sixth time because, oh, look, the wall's not going to fall. It hasn't fallen, it's not going to fall. Imagine what it would look like if that Reverend Fuhrer in his church in Berlin, if they decided to stop praying after six years. An answer delayed is not an answer denied. And just because you haven't seen what you're desperate to see, just because you don't have in your hands the breakthrough that you're contending for doesn't mean that God isn't planning on doing something. It doesn't mean that he's not at work. It doesn't mean that he's not preparing to release the fullness of it into your life. And of course, there are times, we can all point to times where we didn't see the answer and something became final. Somebody we loved died or a marriage broke down irreparably. We, all can t- we can all talk about, we've all got our stories of prayers that we've prayed that we've not seen answered. And we could spend a lot of talk- time talking about why not, or what happened, or what was God doing, or what does this tell us about God. And there's some great books written about that kind of thing, and it's important to wrestle with the doubts and the questions that those scenarios rise, uh, give rise to. But you know, I was, I was thinking about this parable, and as I was thinking about this this week... I can't think of a single place in the Gospels where Jesus gives any explanation for unanswered prayer. I can't think of anywhere where he prepares his disciples about how to cope with God not responding to them. He does exactly the opposite. All his teaching on prayer is encouraging them to believe that they will receive what they ask for in prayer, that they can ask and they will receive, that they can say to the mountain, be moved, and it will be moved, that if we love him and obey his commands, we will see what we ask for. He spends all his time when he teaches on prayer elevating their expectations about what God is going to do and wants to do, not equipping them to cope with what God hasn't done. And that needs to be the focus of our thinking and our processing and our wrestling when we think about prayer and when we think about and when we wrestle with the prayers that have gone unanswered. Just because we haven't seen what we're desperate to see doesn't mean that God's not on the move. It doesn't mean that he's not working and it doesn't mean that he's not preparing to release a breakthrough. What Jesus is saying here is exactly the opposite. Don't quit. Don't quit too soon. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying too soon. Don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking and you will receive. Somebody, I can't remember who it was, but there was a phase. Do you remember the bracelets with WWJD? What would Jesus do? Then there were the bracelets, I don't know if you remember, with P-U-S-H, push. Do you remember those? Anybody? Pray until something happens. You know, that's a way of summarizing this parable, isn't it? Jesus is saying, pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. And if it hasn't happened after seven years, keep praying. 
If it hasn't happened after six trips around the wall, keep praying. Keep praying until God answers, no matter how long it takes. So an answer's take a while to come. A delayed answer is not a denied answer. What Jesus is also teaching us here is that prayer is a partnership with God. That prayer is about partnership, not persuasion. Okay, this is not about persuading God. This is about partnership with God. Jesus is reminding us, and let's hear this again this morning. Through this story of what this woman does is that if we want to see change on earth, we have to collaborate with heaven. It's a collaboration between the person on earth crying out and the God, the Father, our Father in heaven responding. It's a collaboration. This is a story about collaboration. God has chosen to give us as his children, as those he has brought back into relationship with through the death of Jesus. He's chosen to give us influence with him. When the veil was torn into, we were given access in that moment at any time, day or night, into the throne room of God, into the throne room of the universe. We can go in there at any point, any time of day, If we're trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, we have access to the God who created the universe. And he's put influence into our hands to use. He's given us influence with him, and he's chosen to limit his activity on earth to the prayers of his people. And Jesus is reminding us, he's reminding his disciples in this story that that this, this answer to prayer, this breakthrough of justice in this woman's life is the result of partnership between her asking and him responding. So if we don't pray and keep praying, we are not going to see the stuff happen on earth, in our own lives, in the lives of our community, in the lives of our nation, that God wants to release because he's chosen to wait for us to pray and to keep praying. He's put power into our hands through our connection with him. Do you believe that? Does your prayer life demonstrate that you believe that? Berlin walls won't fall down. Revivals won't happen. People won't get saved. Our communities won't be transformed unless the people, the children of God, are praying and persevering in prayer for those outcomes. But if we don't read this story carefully, we can end up drawing the wrong conclusion from it about God that God is like this judge, reluctant to answer our prayers, not really that interested in us, not really that interested in what's on our heart, not really that interested in the kind of stuff that we really care about. And if we're not careful, we can look at the judge and think, oh, God's like that. And we've just got to work really hard to persuade him to be nice to us, to persuade him to intervene, to persuade him to care about what we care about because he doesn't really He's not that fussed. And actually, Jesus is using an old Jewish tradition and style as he tells this story. And it's not, this is the judge, and therefore this is what God is like. It's a comparison style that was used in Jewish stories, which is, if this judge is like this, and God is so not like that, how much more will God respond to us? God is a loving father. He cares about you and everything you care about. He cares about me and everything I care about. 
We don't have to persuade him of anything. Listen to this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 30, verse 18. And one of my sons gave it to me as a word for me again last night. One of my favorite verses. The Lord longs, listen to that heart word. That's a word about his heart for you and his heart for me. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He, therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Why will he rise up? Because you nag and nag and nag and nag like a widow in this story? No. He will rise up to show you compassion because he longs to be gracious to you. That is the heart of the Father. Let's not miss it because of the judge that Jesus is comparing him to. God's heart is to bless you. God's heart is to bless you. God's heart is to be kind to you. God's heart is to release into your life what you're longing to see. God's, God's heart is to give you the desires of your heart. God's heart is to answer your prayers. Jesus made that perfectly clear. God's heart is to change communities and nations through us and through our prayers. God's heart is to break into the lives of the people in our offices and our workplaces and our universities and at our school gates through us because we pray. God's heart is to collaborate with us. God's heart is to set you free. God's heart for you is to bring revival into your life. God's heart is to respond to your cry. And we don't understand the dynamics of God's timing. We don't understand the process of being made to wait. And it's good, as I said, to wrestle with questions. But do you know what? In the end of the day, the essence of faith is trust. It's not understanding. We have to be able to say to God, I trust you when I don't understand. And if our trust is dependent on understanding and have a, having a great answer for why this happened or why this didn't happen, do you know what? It's not trust. God's heart is to bless us. And then the last thing that this parable, this, this story tells us, Jesus makes a really interesting comment at the end, which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, but I was interested again myself to read it connected to this story. Jesus makes this random comment at the end of this story on prayer, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And he's just told a story about a woman who kept praying until she saw her breakthrough. And what Jesus is saying here is that delay, the delay in the answer to our prayers, the delays in the breakthrough that we're longing to see, they test our faith. That's what they test more than anything else. How much we trust God. How much we really believe he's good. How much we really believe that he's for us when the door seems closed when the answer machine seems like it's not being listened to. Where you've been praying and praying and praying for something, whatever it is in your life, your circumstances that you've been contending for, maybe you still are, maybe you've let go of it because you've been so discouraged. You know, waiting for God's response, it, it's the best thing, the best way I know that God reveals what's in our hearts about what we believe about him. Do you really listen to me, God, when I pray? Do you really care about what I'm putting before you? Are you really powerful enough to do anything about this situation? Do you really want to? You get to find out what you believe about God's heart for you and about what, who he is when our ans the answers that, to what we're praying for are delayed. And actually, the more we wait, the more we become vulnerable to doubt 
and to discouragement. I know we can all, you know, put our hands up to that. We know what discouragement feels like. And guess what? The enemy wants us to give up just before we get the breakthrough. He wants us to stop praying just before the answer comes. But discouragement is a really, you know, it's one of the things that happens when prayers are delayed, but so is growth in our faith. I've, I've shared this before. Some of you will have heard this. When uh, our youngest son, Joshi, who's just gone up to university today when he was about sort of 12 or 13, we went through a season in our family of um, table tennis became, you know, the main sport. And we had a table tennis table in the garden, and he's got two older brothers who are both here today. Lovely to have you back, boys. Um, and they were better at table tennis than him because Joshy was the youngest one. So he'd go out into the garage, he'd take on Tom or he'd take on Benji and he'd think, I'm going to beat you today. Come on, let's have another match. And, it, you know, the match would happen in the garage and then Joshy would slink back into the kitchen while the other two were sort of left reeling in their victory and cheering away in a less sort of sensitive way, a less than sensitive way that sort of older teenagers do. And Joshy would, you know, slump into the kitchen absolutely demoralized and defeated because yet again he had been beaten by a brother that was better than him at table tennis. And this was a kind of ritual that went on and on and on, because if nothing else, Joshy had perseverance. And it would go on and on and on, and this ritual would repeat itself, and he'd come back into the kitchen, and same old, same old, same old. And then one day, he went to school. He was at Tommy Rich's in Gloucester, and there was some kind of table tennis tournament. And um, guess what? Joshy won. He won the table tennis tournament because whilst he'd been going back and back and back and trying to defeat his brothers and failing, he was getting better and better and better and better. And he didn't realize it until he played in this competition and suddenly he was good enough to win it. And whilst waiting for our answer, waiting for God to break in in response to our cries can, can expose us to the most phenomenal discouragement. Do you know what? it also has the potential to grow our faith. Because you have to go looking, don't you, when you're beginning to be discouraged and you're beginning to wonder what God thinks about you and what God wants to do. You have to go to the Bible. That's what happens to me. I have to go to the Bible and I have to find out, well, what does God actually say about this situation? I have to remind myself, what does God want to do? And I have to find those promises, like the promise in Isaiah 30. And I have to find them, and I have to take up that sword that is the promise, the word of God, and I have to wield it. And that grows my faith. And Jesus uses delays in the answers that we're longing to see. He uses those delays to test our faith. And they have the phenomenal propensity to strengthen us and to grow us for, for the more that God always has further down the line. Are you like this woman? Are you like this woman in this story who isn't willing to give up? Are there impossible situations? Let's just ask ourselves that question as we end this morning. Are there impossible situations that we are praying for and willing to contend for because we believe that God has put that privilege of partnership in our hands and that actually if we are willing to contend and keep going, we're going to see a breakthrough that isn't possible from any other scenario? Are we praying for mountains to move? Are we praying big prayers? And are we committed to praying them over the long haul for change, as I've said, in our own lives, in the lives of those that we love, but also in the places that God has planted us? And are you like this woman, contending for scenarios that only God can intervene in? Are you asking for that revival in your workplace? Are you asking for a revival in your kids' school? Are you asking for God 
to break into relationships at the school gate in this town, in our nation? Are you praying for walls to come down? Do you believe that God wants to meet you in that place and work with you in that way? Jesus said, he told this story to illustrate that we should never give up. Perseverance, let's just kind of acknowledge this as we close. Perseverance is never a feeling. It is never a feeling. It is a decision made in advance of the feelings. You know, you finish a marathon because you've decided at the beginning that you are going to get to and cross the finishing line. Perseverance is a choice. It is not a feeling. And if we are not responding in the end in our prayer lives to a decision that we've made at some point that I'm going to pray until something happens, we will succumb to the feelings of discouragement before those things have happened. This woman was desperate. She knew that she had no plan B. There was nobody else that was going to be able to help her. And she was going to keep going until she got what she wanted. Would God say the same about you? Is that the kind of prayer life that you're committed to? Let's stand. For those of you that are visitors here, we just like to end our times together just giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to seal in our hearts what he's been saying, to give him an opportunity to, to continue to move on our hearts where he's, he's longing for a response from us. And so we just do that now in these moments that remain. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. We're going to pray together. And we're just going to focus again as we close on this God, this Father, whose heart is to work with us and through us and in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you that you are a God who rises up to show us compassion. We thank you that your heart is one that longs to be gracious to us. And we just acknowledge again in this moment our need of you. Just as this widow acknowledged her need for the help of this man, we acknowledge our need for you. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. To come and draw forth from us the response that you are wanting. Just maybe you want to just ask the Lord in the quietness of your heart, what are you asking me to do? What is it that you're asking me to do in response to what he's been saying? And that will be different things for different people. Maybe he's asking you this morning to lay down a lie that you've believed about him and pick up the truth about who he is and what he wants for you. Maybe he's asking you to recommit to something. Maybe he's asking you to begin something. 
Maybe he wants to lay something on your heart that you would be willing to pray for in order to enable him to move. Lord, what are you asking me to do? Now, for some of you, <clears throat> what God's asking you to do will involve you making a decision to come and uh, stand here at the front where we love to pray for each other at the end of our time. There's power, the Bible says, in praying for each other, praying together, where two or three are agreed on anything. Jesus says it will be done for them. And so it may be that, that God's inviting you to take a step almost as a prophetic statement of choosing to make a step in the spiritual realm about whatever he's asking you to do. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you in a moment to make your way to the front. If you're here and you're looking for God's direction in a particular area of your life. You know, one of the gifts that the God gives his body is the ability to have words and pictures that speak from heaven into our lives. And if you're looking for direction over any area of your life, I want to encourage you to come and allow somebody to pray for you uh, and let them listen to God for you. And if you're here and you need healing, in any area of your body. You know, we, we want to contend. This is another place at the front that we contend for breakthrough, for God's kingdom to break in to our lives in the here and now. If you're here and you need healing in your body, again, I want to encourage you to come and allow somebody to pray for you. I felt like I had a word about a hip. Somebody here with a problem in their right hip. And if that's you, please come and let me pray for you. So if the ministry team could begin to, or the prayer team could begin to make their way to the front. And if you know how it is that God's wanting you to respond to him this morning, I want to encourage you, uh, along with if you want prayer for direction or for healing, to begin to, to make your way forward. I also had this sense this morning that there are some of us here, and in thinking about this whole area of prayer, we're just conscious that our prayer life feels a bit like a fire that's going out. And I just believe that God wants to breathe on the embers of your prayer life this morning. If you're here and you're longing for the breath of his spirit on your connection with him, on your contending with him, maybe you feel that you need more strength. Maybe you know that you're battling discouragement. That word about discouragement really spoke into your situation and you know that you need God's touch to to. to to press in and to persevere in the way that you know he's calling to you over particular scenarios. I believe that God wants to bring a form of resurrection to your prayer life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It'd be great yeah, if we could have some of the family just, just, keep... just come and gather around and, and pray. Jesus. I think we've got some business to do at the front yeah. here. It, it might also be that some of the testimonies from earlier in, around resurrection... Um, really prompted, uh, stirred something in you, some hope, and you just want to 
you want to respond to that and say, yes, God, that stirred me. I want to pray about that thing, whether it's a a diagnosis, whether it's about a situation that you feel stuck in. We'd love to be praying for you at the front. And and if you're walking through a a place at the moment where it feels like it's ashes, it feels like it's all burnt stuff, and and you're wanting to see resurrection power, we, we would love to pray for you. I just think that there may be one or two here and you've let go of a dream that you have prayed for for a long time, but you've let it go. You, you know, you've had that sense of it's not going to happen and you've laid it down. And maybe there was a flicker from uh, Mimi's testimony this morning as she spoke about going after your dreams. Or maybe there was a reaction in you where you just thought, no, it's not going to happen for me. But again, I just believe there's an invitation here this morning for you to pick up that dream and to recommit again this morning to contending to see that dream fulfilled, to see that breakthrough come, to see that transformation happen as God responds to you in power. Can we have some more people to come down to the front and pray? Oh, cool. Do any more women? A couple of women over this side. It'd be great. We will get to you. Thanks for waiting. If you do have um, children to pick up, now would be the time to head that way. Thank you so much. We're going to continue praying for people at the front. This, you've not missed your opportunity if you want to take a moment. Um, if you do need to head off, thank you so much for joining us. God bless you as you head off into all that he's called you to. Go and persevere in prayer. God.